Good morning. Oh, hey, someone knows me. How cool. Hey, I am going to, you can give yourselves a round of applause if you want to, but I am going to give you a round of applause. You don't even know what for yet. Good job. You guys have made it to church on one of the most difficult weekends of the year to actually get to church, right? You guys have woken up from that trip to Vancoma. You've survived Black Friday shopping, those weird conversations with that strange uncle, you know, all the things that we've been kind of navigating over the last few days, possible winter storms, and here you are. So good work. Congratulations. Um, if you don't know who I am, it may say something a little bit about your church attendance over the summer months, but if you are new or if you happen to miss a week or two, my name is Christian, and I am the high school program director here at Eastridge. And I say this sincerely, I am excited, I am glad, and I am thankful that you guys are all here today. So thank you for joining us, um, and, and I'm excited to talk about what we, got, what we got to talk about today. So I'm starting to see this pattern, this pattern that they want, they schedule me to, to, to share with you guys when the youth are going to be joining us in the big service. So when the middle school and the high schoolers are going to be joining us. And that's, that's true today, too. See you guys back there. We've got some middle school and high schoolers in the room. And I think the reason they do that is they think that I have this, I don't know why, but maybe they think I, like, I got this magical touch where I can, you know, speak to both the young and speak to the mature at the same time. But it's really tricky. I'll give you an example. Last year, I was uh, t talking to middle school students, and I was having a really good, you know, things were just rolling, and I was feeling really good about it, and I was going to end it with this great example, and I said, yeah, just like Billy Graham. <laughs> no, like, yeah, just like Billy Graham. Like, raise your hand if you know who Billy Graham is. Yeah, yeah, well, if you just raised your hand, you're now with me, you are part of the mature side of things, right? Because my middle schoolers had no clue, no clue who Billy Graham was. So today, what I thought is I'm going to meet in the middle, all right? I've got high schoolers, we've got middle schoolers, they're starting early, we're starting to think about college, for those of us that might be going there. I've got probably people in the room that are reminiscing and wishing they were still in college, and so we are going to start with a story about my college experience. And I went to a school called Trinity Western University, it's in British Columbia, Canada, and it's a great school. Um, but when I tell people I went to Trinity Western, people are always like, oh, so you went to a Bible school. No, not really. Like, it was a Christian school, but I only took, like, maybe two, maybe three Bible courses over my four years. What I did is I went as a business student. So I went and got my BA, Bachelor's in Business Administration, uh, from Trinity. And it, like I said, it, it was a great experience. I love my time there. And while I was getting my BA, I accidentally kind of backdoored myself into getting a political science minor, which, as I'm sure you can, can tell and, can, and relate with, being an American, getting a Canadian political science minor, it's, it's done really well for me. <laughs> I have no clue how the electoral college works. But man, when I'm at a party and the parliamentary system comes up, or people want to know about Stephen Harper, or my thoughts on Justin Trudeau, I'm all set, like totally great. But business and poli-sci were different. They were kind of different worlds on campus. And my business department was in like the nicest, newest building, second, third floor, 
had a Starbucks in the building, only Starbucks on campus. It was great. My teachers dressed up. They wore suits, and they drove fancy cars, and we tried to do the same thing. As students, we dressed up, and we wore the, at the time, we wore these cool, like, satchel bags, and we pulled out our laptops when we got to class, and they had, like, three hours of battery life, and we're like, whoa, look at us, and, you know, we would, like, do our thing, right? And then the poli sci was completely different. You know, those teachers were flannels, they had socks with their Birkenstocks, we were in like the basement of a building, the lights were dark because like great thinking happens in the darkness, I don't know. And so like, just these two different contracting worlds. And for everyone that was in the business department and the poli-sci department, so myself, we had a tough time. It was different, right? And so one day, I would taken business classes, finished up my class, and I came back, and I had a poli-sci class, and I get to poli-sci class, and I tell you, this is this is honest truth, this is, this is a true story. The guy goes like this, you smell like Starbucks. Like, what? It's like, are you, are you taking business classes? <laughs> yeah, yeah, man, I'm actually a business major, I, I take business classes. And he said to me, he goes, hey, how in the world can you be a part of the business program as a Christian? So, like, at the very worst, you, to be successful in business, you have to lie, you have to cheat, and you have to steal. He said, at the very best, you're just always thinking about money, and money ends up being the top priority, right? So how can you, how can you justify that? How can, you, how can you make business and Jesus kind of go together? And that is why I went to a Christian college to learn about business, because I had the same question. At any point... Does business and God overlap? At any point, can you find God in any business principles? And that's, and that's, what, I, that's what I spent four years trying to find. When I was in one of my business classes, I believe it was first year, uh, my, prof, uh, uh, my professor put up this um, onto, the, onto our screen. And I stared at it blankly, being like, I have no idea what this formula is. Maybe some of you do. Maybe some of you don't. Maybe if you're in finance, you've seen this formula. But this is the formula for compound interest. I'll put it in basic terms. This is the formula of magic, all right? It's a mathematical, magical formula. And it explains simply, if you put X number of dollars away for X amount of time, you will magically end up with X amount of money at the end. It's amazing. It's fantastic, right? Simply put, it's a mathematical way to take something small and turn it into something bigger than expected. It's the mathematical way to take something really small and turn it into something much, much bigger than expected and often understood. Guys, we are continuing our journey in Mark today. We are in Mark chapter 4, so if you have your Bibles, feel free to pull it out. Mark chapter 4. Most of the verses will be up on the screen if that's helpful for you. And we are going to finish with two parables today. And this is where Mark wraps up Jesus speaking on parables, okay? So we're going to catch the last two uh, that Mark records of Jesus' time. And these two are kind of, they're kind of unique. I like them. The first one is especially unique because it's only in the book of Mark. It's not in any of the other gospels. So it's only recorded in the book of Mark. 
And the second one is one that you'll probably recognize. It talks about a little seed. Um, but both of these have a similar theme through, through them. They both start the same way. They both talk about the kingdom of God. And they are going to work at enlightening, describing, and kind of sharing and showing us what the kingdom of God is about. So let's begin, all right? Mark chapter 4, like I said, we are starting in verse 26 through 29. This is the first parable, and this is the, called the parable of the growing seed. So let me read it to you. Here we go. It says, he also said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows. Though he does not know how, all by, him, by, all by itself the soil produces grain. First the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. So what stands out right away about this parable? Well, to me, it's this idea of the power of this seed. The power of this, this, this seed. It grows and produces crop with no one helping it, right? It doesn't take any human intervention. It doesn't take any human understanding. But this seed has power in it, and it grows. We've been talking about parables, as obviously, as we've been going through the Gospels. In this summer, we talked about parables a lot. I had the opportunity to share a couple different times on parables. And one of the parables I got to talk to you guys about was the parable of the soils, four different types of soils. And this parable kind of continues that theme, right? We're back into farming, we're back into talking about growing things, and we're back into kind of continuing this, this same idea, the same pattern. And, the, and we can see that how this, with how this verse starts. But I think it's important when we were talking about parables, we talked about this idea of that parables are stories, and they're usually simple stories. Sometimes there are similes for things or analogies for other things, and there's not one perfect definition to describe all parables. But I used a quote, and I'll kind of use it again slightly here, by C.H. Dodd, and he said that parables are meant to tickle the mind into deeper thought. And that's what I'm hoping that we can do today, again, right? This idea is that let's look at these parables and see if there's something else a little bit deeper than what's going on just right on the surface, right? So here we go. To do that, I think it's always important to look at context, to, to put ourselves in the place of the people that would have heard this the first time. So someone that would have been listening to Jesus as he was sharing this parable. So let's look at, look at this, these verses through those lenses, okay? Verse 26, let's start there. He also said, this is what the kingdom of God is like, a man scatters seed on the ground. So the very first part, he also says, well, that means that it's a continuation, this is continuing a story that he's been talking about. Maybe it's him continuing straight off his parable about the, about the soils. We don't know. It doesn't explicitly say that, that, that the scenery has changed or the people have changed. But we do know that it, it, it's because of that, it's a continuation. A better translated instead of he also said is that he continued saying. This idea of this is all a part of the story. This is all a part of what Jesus is talking about, Right? So as you're listening and you're imagining as a first time, as you're hearing this for the first time, you're like, hey, this is what, this is what we've been talking about. It's in, it's in theme, right? The next part says, the farmer takes the seed and he sows the seed. Well, that sounds really commonplace too. Nothing strange there. We've talked about how 
farming was a big part of their culture. They couldn't just go to Safeway and pick things up, right? So they, they, they were familiar with this idea of farming. And so nothing, nothing standing out there. So far, this story is sounding very, you know, like commonplace. Verse 27, it starts, night and day. So that was the first part as me, for me, I went, night and day, that's a weird, why, do, why are we starting at night? But for them, the Hebrew culture, that's how it worked. So night was the start of their day. So once again, here we are, we're still in the same sort of like, Jesus has had nothing that's kind of like tickled the imagination to this point, right? All right, this sounds like a boring story about farming, here we go. But things change in the second part of 27, right? Whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. Now, if you're listening, or someone was listening, they would be like, wait a second. Does this Jesus guy not know about farming? Or is he, is he belittling us? Like, there's a lot of work that goes into farming. There's a lot of things that need to be done. Farmers are known to be hard workers. They get up early. There's a lot of things that, that go into making sure of, that you get a successful crop. And Jesus in this story is just saying that, like, it doesn't matter what he does. Guy can sleep and watch Netflix if he wants to. Like, it's still going to work, right? And if you are listening closely, I think this is the part where you're kind of like, ooh, what, what's he saying here, right? 28. All by itself, the soil produces grain. First the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. It's the same idea, right? Wait a second. Like, I'm not... There's nothing that's being done. They didn't ever say that water had to be, it had to be watered. They didn't know, they didn't do anything to it. It just, up it grows. And not only does up it grows, but it grows correctly. It grows in the stages that it should grow in. It, it gets to where it's supposed to be at. Someone who was listening would be like, what, what's this about? What's going on here, Right? I want to share a verse from Mark, go back a little bit, from Mark chapter 4, verse 9 through 11. Jesus was talking about another parable, and he said this. He said, then Jesus said, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. When he was alone, the twelve and the others around him asked him about the parables. He told them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to those on the outside, everything is said in parables. It's this idea that if you were listening to Jesus you would have caught those things. Well, that doesn't make sense. Magical seeds, and I'm not having to work, and it's growing up. What's happening here? What does this mean? But it's commonplace enough that if you were sitting there going like, oh, Jesus, he's just telling more farming stories. He's just talking about that. You would just kind of tune it out, right? And you could go on your way and never actually hear kind of the truth behind it. And Jesus warned about this. Hey, those who have ears, listen up. Make sure you're, make sure you're listening to what, what's being said here. We have the benefit being 2,000 plus years later, kind of taking a step back and being able to look at it from a different view, right? And for us, I think the view is, is a little bit clearer. We can look at it and we can kind of dissect and see what was Jesus actually meaning here. And I think there's a few things that Jesus is pointing out, right? The first is, is that apart from the sowing, apart from the, the person that has to put out the seed, the only human activity that is involved with this parable is waiting, Specifically, waiting in faith and waiting in confidence for the harvest to come. God doesn't use anyone else other than himself in that. 
Second, the seed produces grain by itself, right? No human action or opposition can change that. Doesn't say that, oh yeah, well the farmer was trying really hard and that actually changed the soils and then it didn't quite work. No. No human interactions actually change the results. And lastly, the nature of the kingdom's growth is a mystery. It's a mystery. The guy that sowed the seed is like, I have no idea how this worked, but it, beyond my understanding, but it, but it showed up, right? And we know from the very part, beginning that this is a picture of what the kingdom of God is like, right? We're called to do something. We're called to sow seeds. But from that point on, it's beyond our understanding, and the kingdom is a mystery. The kingdom's growth, specifically, is a mystery. Okay, let's continue. Mark chapter 4, 30 through 32, we're going to get our second parable on this one, and this is the parable of the mustard seed, which is kind of fun. So here we go. Again, he said, what shall we say in the kingdom the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable shall we use to describe it? It is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds on earth. Yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants, which is with such big branches that the birds can perch in its shade. So once again, what stands out right away? What's this idea of, of rapid growth, right? It's this idea of something so tiny, the smallest seed on earth can grow into something so big, the largest plant, right? This idea of like something going from so small to so big. That, that picture pops right away when we read this, right? But let's look at the context again in this one, and let's dive into a couple of these different things. The first one is, is just the mustard seed, right? And I don't know about you guys, I'm not overly familiar with mustard seeds coming into this, so I had to do a little research, but mustard seeds are small. They're small. They're like the size of a grain of sand. And some smarty pants out in the world has figured out that they're actually not the, sm the smallest seed, and has been like, oh, look at this. Like, there's actually orchid seeds that are smaller, and they're like in the rainforest. And, but for the first century Palestinians, in their world, the mustard seed is the smallest seed in the world, right? Context. And this seed grows, and it grows into something that's big. It grows into a bush, and it grows into a bush that is 10, 12, 15 feet tall. And actually, it grows really rapidly, too. So once it's planted, it grows quickly. Once it's been planted, it's really hard to get rid of it. It's almost like a weed. It doesn't go away. It germinates very fastly. So, like, it, it, it spreads once they, once they start to go. And people would have been really, would have known this, this bush, would have known this tree. Fun little side note is that Mark uses bush, but the other two Gospels use the word tree. Because it, 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 it's kind of interchangeable. It's this idea that it, it's not just a little bush. It's, it, it's, a, it's like a tree. But, but people in the first century would have been able to look at this and would have been like, oh, yeah, of course, like, I know what a mustard tree looks like because they're all over the, the hills, like, like the very commonplace. Verse 32 is a little strange, though, at least at first glance. It says, yet, with the uh, yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all the garden plants with such big branches that the birds can perch in its shade. And the birds are actually a symbol of something. And I think people would have picked up on this once again if they were listening closely or were listening with the right heart. Because there's multiple times in the Old Testament that this, this idea of trees, this picture of trees, represent empires. 
This picture of birds represent people taking, taking solstice in, in those empires. There's two examples in Ezekiel, Ezekiel 17 and 31. Those two use examples of cedar trees. But I want to share another one with you today. It's from Daniel, and it's from Nebuchadnezzar's dream. So I'm going to read this to you. And, and just listen and kind of listen to the common, the common threads that we just heard about, about this. It says, Daniel 4, this is in Daniel 4, chapter 10 through 12. Like I said, it's Nebuchadnezzar's dream. And he says this, These are the visions I saw while I was lying in bed. I looked, and there before me stood a tree in the middle of the land. Its height was enormous. The tree grew large and strong, and its top touched the sky. It was visible to the ends of the earth. Its leaves were beautiful, its fruit abundant, and on it was food for all. Under it, the wild animals found shelter, and the birds lived in its branches. From it, every creature was fed. So if you were sitting there deeply thinking about this, you might remember this story. You might, might remember this idea that like, oh yeah, like this picture that the kingdom of God is going to take, go from something small into something big, and it's going to provide shelter for 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 others, would have been this like almost normal kind of picture. Stepping outside of first century and going to back, or stepping outside from when Jesus was telling this for the first time, and going to when Mark's readers were listening or li- were listening to his message for the first time, I think that's it, it's interesting there too. Because if someone was reading Mark and and what he was talking about here and was reconciling this with their own minds, they would have thought about the Gentiles in this situation. The birds would have represented the Gentiles. This idea that like God's kingdom is for everyone. This idea that God's kingdom, anyone is welcome. Everyone can be a part of it, right? The kingdom of God will have small and insignificant beginnings, right? It's gonna be just like a mustard seed, but it's gonna grow into something great. Mark Four, 33 through 34 is where we're going to wrap up. And it says this, it says, with many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them as much as they could understand. He did not say anything to them without using a parable, but when he was alone with his own disciples, he explained everything. Once again, it's this idea that parables illuminate the truth. But for those that refuse to respond, the parables actually conceal them, right? Sounds so basic. Ah, that's another basic, it's just a story, it's just, you know, whatever, and you can just go on your merry way and kind of tune it out. But for those of us that hear, for those of us that are listening, those of us that are digging into what God's saying here, it actually illuminates the truth. Going back to the parable of four soils, I think it's asking, hey, you know, what soil are you? Are you, are you soaking it in? Or is it just falling on hard ground and getting whisked away by the wind or, or, or eaten up by the birds? Are you receptive and are you listening? That's how Mark wants to finish it. Hey guys, look at all of this. This is the continuation of Jesus' story. This is where he's going to end the parables, but man, don't skip over it. There's a lot here. There's a lot of truth. Dig in. So what do we do now? How do we respond Like I said, we're in Happy Valley, Oregon, 2,000 plus years later. What does this mean for us, right? Well, I think there's a few things. I'm going to share three of them with you. But I think there's a few things that we should do in in, in response. And the very first one is I think we should contribute. I think we should contribute 
to the cause of the kingdom of God. And why I say that is going back to verse 26, right? What happens? He asks the farmer to sow the seed. He says, hey, I need somebody to sow the seed. Yeah, the rest of it isn't up to you, but you're still a part of this. And for whatever reason, God has chosen us to be a part of the process of growing the kingdom of God. So if we don't contribute, then we're actually not doing what we're supposed to do, right? We've got, we've got to do that. We are called to be farmers. We are called to plant the seeds for the kingdom. Hey, do you guys remember that formula I put up at the very beginning, right? Compound interest, mathematical magic. It's really cool, and uh, I got to share this with a few people recently, and I got super excited, and I was telling them, oh, no, look, this is how it works. You do this, and then it turns into this, and then, you know, and they're like, what? That doesn't make any sense. I'm like, no, I promise you, it's amazing. Like, check this out. So I'm going to share just a little bit with you. This is kind of how it works. If you saved $1,000, okay, $1,000, from the age of 25 to the age of 34, that's 10 years, that means you have invested $10,000, using easy math today, $10,000, right? And you put it in an IRA account or something like that and it earns 8%. You do nothing from age 34 to 65. You just sit around and eat bonbons, you do nothing, right? 65, you open it up, you know what you have? You have almost $160,000. That's, that's like $150,000 of magic money. You did nothing, right? Isn't that crazy? And then it gets really fun. You're like, what if I don't do 65? How about I go 67? What if I put like 1,100? You know, like you can make the numbers. It's super fun. Go home, play with it. If you haven't done it before, high school kids start saving now. It's amazing. Um, but this is what you need to do, right? It's so cool. But it's this idea that small beginnings, right? Small beginnings can turn into great things. Sometimes we don't understand necessarily how it works, but small beginnings can turn in to great things, great results. Some of you may know that I, I led Young Life in the Clackamas area for several years, and there's this amazing place called Washington Family Ranch. It's in uh, Eastern Oregon, or Central Oregon, in Antelope, and it's their big like camp for, the, for this region. And it's a fantastic place. It opened in 1999, and in 1999, they started having kids come in, they started sharing the gospel with kids, and they came up with this idea. They said, what we're going to do is if someone makes a decision for Christ while they're here, someone accepts Christ, asks them into their heart, what we're going to do is we're going to have them take a little rock, a little pebble, a little piece of tile, and we're going to have them make a pile. And can you imagine the very first week they got, I don't know, however many kids, and like, oh, let's go do this, and then like put it down and they make the pile, right? Then the next week at camp, they're like, oh, where was that, where was that pile? That that looks like, uh, let's go here, pretend this was it. You know, like, you can't see it. You're just like, oh, there's a few rocks, right? Since 1999, when it opened, over 20,000 high school students have put a rock or a piece of tile on that pile. They opened a middle school camp on the same campus, and 7,000-plus middle school students have added to that. There's almost 30,000 rocks on this pile now. That pile, that probably that first week, no one could even remember where it was or could see, would now take like a bulldozer to remove, right? The same idea, small beginnings can turn into great results. Sometimes you don't understand it. If you're just sitting there watching a rock pile, you, can, you wouldn't see it grow, right? But every once in a while you go back and you check on it and you're like, holy cow, something's happening here. We gotta contribute. 
you got it, you got it, you're asked to be a part of it. So, so don't stand on the sidelines, contribute. Next one, and this is great for this time of year, great tip no matter what, don't stress, right? Don't stress. Did you catch that in the parables? The growth and the success of the kingdom of God is not a result of human actions or ambitions. They were sleeping. They didn't do anything. It wasn't because of them. It wasn't like, man, the farmer did a really good job on this one. No. He did what he was supposed to do. He contributed. But the rest, the results, were up to God. Now, I am blessed to have a wife in full-time ministry. And I am obviously in part-time ministry. And it is no fault of our own. We, we try really hard. But let's not just talk about this church. So let's talk about the full church, the big church, the everyone church. We in church like to tinker with things, right? We think that we could do some different stuff and maybe it would make things better. And, and, and some of it is great. Like, I'm not trying to be little or, or anything like that. But we will, oh, we need all sorts of programming. We need program for this and program for that and program for this and program for that. And then it changes. We don't need programs at all. Like, it's got to be organic. You know, people just need to come in and, and we need to do it this way. Or we need, like, we need a fog machine, fog machines and lasers. That's going to get them. Or like, oh, we need PowerPoint. Or we need to change the music. More drums, less drums, electric guitar, no electric guitar. Like, we're always tinkering. Like, oh, what if, we, what if we make the stage this way? Or what if, you know, like, it's not our fault. Like, we, we're trying, right? But, like, wouldn't it be good to sometimes ultimately remember that we're actually not in control of the results? Like, we, we can do it. I get caught up in this in middle school, or in, in my ministry all the time with, with the high school students or middle school students, right? Like, man, if we do this, if we do that, I think that's really going to help. And, like, I got another story from when I took a student to Young Life Camp, same camp. I remember this vividly. I was sitting on the bottom. I was sitting on the floor, and he was on the top bunk. And he said, hey, I'm going to accept Christ this week if I see fireworks. Meaning, if I see God show up this week, I'm going to do it. So, of course, what did I try to do? I was like, man, I'm going to pray for this, and I'm going to help this kid see some fireworks. So, like, lunch the next day, I'm like, that potato chip kind of looks like Jesus' face. You know, like... <laughs> Shooting star, that was for you. You know, I'm trying to like every little thing. I'm trying to like make it work for him, right? I have no idea what happened to that kid. I have no idea where he's at. But it's not up to me. I planted the seed the best I could. And God's got it in control from, from that point on. Proverbs 19.21 says this. Many are the plans in a person's heart but it's the Lord's purpose that prevails. Man, we can try to make things happen, can't we? And it's all for good. We can try to make things happen. But it's the Lord's purpose that's going to prevail. It's not up to us. We're called to contribute and called to not stress. The last one I want to share with you is this idea of prepare to be surprised. Right? Prepare to be surprised. I didn't do anything. There's a crop. What, that little seed? 12 feet tall? How did that happen? Prepare to be surprised. Once again, Young Life Camp. Another year. Took a bunch of students. Had a great week. The end, last day, what you do is, like I said, you take the pebble, you put it on the, on the thing. I had multiple students. I think I had two students that did it this year. Was so caught up in it. Was so excited. 
you know, taking their picture, making sure, like, send it to mommy and daddy. Like, so excited for these students. I was just, I was, I was, I was really, really just jacked. And, like, got on the bus, headed back home. About an hour into it, one kid goes, hey, can you pull over? Pull over? Yeah, pull over. Oh, no, he's going to puke. You know, you're looking out the window, but not looking out the window at the same time. Gets out of the bus, comes back in, holds up a rock. He goes, hey, I just accepted Christ. What the heck? Dude, you did that four hours ago. I would have got the picture. You know, like, (laughs) what kind of timing is that? Prepare to be surprised. You think everything's lined up. You think you got it all set, right? And all of a sudden, you're on a ride back home and whatever. And the kid's like, nope, now's the time. Jesus says, nope. It's going gonna, it's gonna to spring up right now. All right. I'm going to side derail myself here a little bit. There was actually, <laughs> it was smoking hot that day too. We're in central Oregon. It was like 100 degrees that week. The bus shows up and the bus driver's like, oh yeah, on the way here, the air conditioning went out. Oh, bloody hot. Like just like we're, it was a miserable bus ride, right? And so I'm just sitting there hating life. <laughs> After a week of with students, and just like, oh my gosh, what is happening? And God goes, yep, now's the time. Okay. Prepare to be surprised. Hey, if you've read your Bible at all, we've seen this happen, right? There's a guy named Gideon. He's got a cool story. He's going to lead an army. He's going to take on a battle. And God goes, nah, you got too many guys. Let's, let's trim it down a little bit. He goes, all right. How am I going to do that? He's like, oh, I do this weird tongue thing, see if they lap up the water. Oh, yep. There we go. Cut that down. Now you're down to 300 guys. All right. So now how am I going to fight? Well, take some trumpets and play the trumpets. What? I don't know. Prepare to be surprised. God works in weird ways. Daniel? Or or David, excuse me. David? Right? Little guy. Just a shepherd. Go fight this giant. What are you going to use? A slingshot. Perfect. You know, like, okay. Prepare to be surprised. I've been talking to the high schoolers about this guy because he's one of my favorites, Jeremiah, prophet. He's not the guy that you would have picked. He's, he's too young. He's a kid. He's like, I, I don't have the skill set. What am I supposed to be doing? Well, God's like, yeah, I'm going to use you. Well, why? I don't know. How about Mary? Virgin? Teenager? Not who I would have picked, right? God likes to use the unexpected, and he likes to use the unexplainable. He likes to use the unexpected, and he likes to use the unexplainable. As Americans, we love stories with small beginnings, don't we? It's like part of the American dream. It doesn't matter who you are or where you come from. Like we can turn, you can be this and you can turn it into something like huge. It's like that's America, right? And it doesn't take like very much to like find examples of this, right? There's tons of secular examples. These are some of my favorites. I'm going to show you. Apple, Google, Amazon, Harley, Disney, Mattel. They all started in garages. They all started with small beginnings. If Steve Jobs was alive today, 
the creator of Apple, back when he was typing away in his garage, do you think that he would have ever imagined that today 1.4 billion Apple devices would be activated across the world? 1.4 billion when he was just working away in his little garage. How about Jeff Bezos? He's the, he's the CEO and the starter of Amazon, right? When he was back there and he would have told somebody, hey, you know what, 2019, over this weird weekend that no one really knows about, but it's going to be really cool, it's called, we're going to call it Black Friday, uh, I'm going to sell 200 million items over that weekend on my little website. Do you think people would have been like, are you, what are you talking about, how? That doesn't even make sense. How about the two PhD students that started Google in 1998? Do you think if someone had told them, hey, there's going to be some guy that's going to Google the last two facts in his sermon to tell you about them, and that's how he's going to figure it out, <laughs> and that's what's going to be like commonplace? They would have been like, what the? No. We love small beginnings, and this idea of small beginnings and this idea that small beginnings can turn into great things. As we begin the season of Advent, what a great time to be reminded of the most important example of this, right? It's like this, this example of the ultimate small beginning. It didn't start in a garage, but it started somewhere similar. It started in a cave. It started in nativity, Right? The Savior of the world showed up in an unexpected place. He showed up at an unexpected time. Think about the people that were there during his time, hoping that there was a Savior coming, right? They've been waiting, they've been searching, they've been looking for this. And when you think of that, you're thinking like Thor showing up, right? Like some dude, like lightning, you know, like you're thinking like here it comes. And you get a baby? Best case scenario, it's going to take him like 30 years and a lot of weight training to like figure this out, right? We can't wait 30 seconds in this day and age. Can you imagine? You're like, yeah, you got to wait 30 years. The Savior of the world is born as an unassuming baby in a nondescript stable. Small beginnings, right? This is the beginning of the kingdom of God. Small beginnings. But whoa, it can turn into great things. Some 30 years later, right? Jesus dies, resurrects, and at that time he has, what, maybe a hundred plus followers? Yet that mustard seed of a movement swept across the world, compounding year after year, growing exponentially, unexplainably, and transforming millions of lives and changing the course of human history. As I was prepping this week, um, there was this worship song that kept playing in my head. It's a new one. Uh, as I, as I, I'm not going to sing this for you. I'm not Ben, so I'm just going to read some things. I'll call the band out for you uh, while I do this. But I want to finish up with, the, with just a few lyrics from this song. Because, man, it just hit home for me. It says this. I don't always understand and I don't always get to see. That's the way it starts. Verse 26, right? I don't always understand and I don't always get to see. He who came in power will come again. He who healed the sick 
won't he move again? He who raised the dead, won't he raise again? I will sing because I trust you. One could never imagine the conclusion from the beginning. And such is the kingdom of God. Let me pray. Dear God, Lord, I thank you so much for who you are. God, I thank you that you've called us to be a part of the kingdom of God, but you've not put the results squarely on our shoulders. You've called us to sow seeds, to share your gospel, but God, you are fully in control. And Lord, I pray that this year that we would take, that would, that would take root in our lives, God, that we would, that we would do those things, that we would, that we would contribute to your kingdom. God, that we would, that we would not be stressed about the results and realize that ultimately you are in control. And God, that we would open our eyes, open our ears, and that we would witness some of your surprising work at hand. God, I just pray for each one of these, of these people in this room today that as we start this, this beautiful Christmas season, the season of Advent, the season of, of leaning up to your coming and remembering that, God, that we would remember that you came as a baby unexpectedly, but God, you have changed the world and you've changed our lives. In your holy name I pray, amen.